The title of our lesson this morning is Where True Life is Found. Our family theme is Alive in Christ. Our objective this morning is that we would learn to walk closely with Jesus Christ by faith and by faith alone and not depending on anything else, including legalistic human regulations, because we know it's by faith we have right standing with God. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2 this morning. We'll begin in verse 6 down to verse 23. Three key truths. Number one, that as believers we keep growing in faith, trusting in Christ alone, and rejecting false teaching. Key truth number two, that God gives forgiveness and spiritual life only through faith in Christ alone. And the third key truth is that we would hold fast to Christ and reject man-made philosophies and regulations. Under our Bible basics, uh, the question we're asked to deal with this morning is, what is regeneration? Anybody want to take a, a, a shot at that one? What is regeneration? Be made Say what? Be made, Be made anew. Who does that for us? Yeah, Jesus Christ. That's exactly what that is all about. We're made new in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us spiritual life. And again, for all those who come to him by faith. That's regeneration, being born again. So how's our lesson fit? Well, we touched on that last week. We were in Colossians as well. Paul wrote this uh, letter around A.D. 61, 62, probably while he was under house arrest in the city of Rome. Now, it's interesting. He's under arrest, but does Paul stop ministering? No, he still continues on ministry. I'll get started this morning, okay? Give me some examples, if you can, some examples of man-made rules or philosophies or traditions that people claim are necessary to have right standing with God. What are some of the things people would claim? Okay. All right. Somebody else? They do, don't they? Okay. Uh, some folks believe you, you got to be baptized. Now, baptism is important. Okay, Dan? Isn't that the truth? It, it, for a lot of people, it's like their life's on a scale. Bad things over here, good things over here, and as long as the good things outweigh the bad, you're okay. Now, which of those philosophies are true, though? None of them. None of them get us to heaven. Now, the sad thing is, especially in our culture, we have been raised up in a culture that says, if you're going to get anything in life, you've got to earn it yourself. And we sometimes apply that even to our salvation. But that's not true. Salvation is a gift from God. And there are so many who believe they really have to earn their salvation, and they do that by keeping certain man-made rules are certain regulations. But is that what the Bible teaches? Not at all. The Bible is very clear that we're to walk with Christ by faith. So my question would be, what can we do to earn our salvation? Nothing. Nothing at all. What was going on at the church at Colossae? There were false teachers there, and they were confusing the believers with 
a mixture of Jewish and pagan thought along with Christian thought. Now, they weren't excluding Christian thought, but they were trying to add other beliefs in with that. Now, it's interesting. Uh, Christ was certainly part of that, but also with Jewish rites and rituals going on there as well. And there was also pagan things going on within the church. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, when we speak about the gospel, what is the gospel? Explain it to me in a short few words. It's the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. Plus what? Nothing else. Okay, and Paul was very jealous over the gospel, and we ought to be as well. But what was going on, they were rejecting the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, they were saying, okay, you know, we'll, we'll let that in here, but along with that, you must do this, this, or that. They were trying to add uh, to the gospel. And so Paul is writing this letter. One of the reasons is to warn them about this error going on within the church. So our first key truth is faith, trusting in Christ alone, and rejecting false teaching. Let's read from Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8. Somebody volunteer. Thank you, Dan. Notice, if you will, there in verse 6, Paul says, As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, he uses three different words to identify Jesus Christ. First of all, he uses the word Christ. What does that mean? What does that involve? Divinity, okay, exactly. He's a Christos, he's a Messiah, and it would be a title, right? So what what about the word Jesus? That's right, it's a name. So you have a title and a name. And then he says, the Lord, again, divinity. And you might wonder what's so important about that. Well, there was some teaching going on. And even Paul, I'm sorry, John addressed that in some of his letters. Uh, they were teaching that nothing physical, and I don't want to, I'm trying to make sure I, I, I say this correctly, that God could be nothing involved with anything physical. It had to be all spiritual or whatever. So Jesus really didn't have a body. That's what they were trying to tell you. But Paul uses all three to show that there's a connection with God, with humanity, and that connection is through Jesus Christ. God became what? Man. Amen. Now, so God became man. So was he uh, 50% man and 50% God? Amen. And that's so important. And, and that's one of the things that Paul is trying to address here as he writes this letter to the Colossians. It's also interesting, again, the 
worldly philosophy would try to separate the divinity from the humanity. You can't do that. They are one in, in the same. Now, also, uh, he, he says to them, first of all, as you receive Christ, that's only the beginning. So, notice this. Paul is saying it's important to be saved, but is that where you stop? No, you've got to continue. You've got to continue to grow in your faith. In fact, Paul said, be rooted and established in him. Now, I realize that we are not trees, uh, but are roots important to trees? What does a root do? Yeah. And the same thing is true in our lives spiritually. We need to be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to continue to trust Him. We need to continue to live our lives in submission to Him. And when we do that, it helps us to grow strong in our faith. And when that happens, because we're now growing our roots deep in Christ, that ought to help us from wandering away from the truth that we have been taught from the time we were saved. And Paul is saying the same thing to the church at Colossae. And I think it's kind of interesting. Paul says in verse 8, he, uh, he talks about uh, don't let them spoil you. And that's an interesting word. Uh, it came from a, a description of kidnapping, a pillage, something like a, a pirate would do when they attack somebody. And, and Paul says, look, don't allow your thought life to be taken captive by worldly philosophies. My question would be, is that happening today? Sure. Everywhere you look, we hear all kinds of worldly philosophies. And we have to be careful. Don't let them uh, take us and, and, and get puberty. In fact, Paul, when he wrote the Corinthian church, he said, we ought to allow Jesus to take our thoughts captive. We ought to give them over uh, to him. And so, uh, now, uh, again, <clears throat> Paul is not against all philosophy. There are some good out there. But what he's doing, he's saying, look, be careful. Be careful about the philosophy that is empty and deceptive. It's not all good. Uh, be careful about those who promise freedom and enlightenment when in actuality all they're doing is producing slavery and, and darkness. Now, again, we need to understand we're justified by faith alone. And we have to remember we cannot depend on human wisdom. We cannot depend on the principles of this world. And we have to depend on who? Jesus Christ. On Him and Him alone. Now remember, the Bible is very clear. True wisdom comes from where? It comes from God. And it comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, without a doubt, even in Paul's day, there were schools of philosophy going on. Uh, when he went to Mars Hill, there were Epicureans, uh, there were Stoics, Socrates, Plato, all those schools of philosophy. And, and Paul said, be careful. Be careful and don't let them take your thoughts in captivity. Don't let them ruin your walk 
uh, with God. Now, it's interesting. A lot of these philosophies, even what we hear today, it sounds spiritual. But it's not really. It's simply not what God would want for our lives. And what happened with those kind of philosophies, instead of leading us to Christ, they are leading us away from Christ. Now, again, um, a lot of what we hear about people being spiritual, uh, you hear folks from Hollywood talk about their spirituality. Very few of them are talking about being in Christ. They're talking about some kind of philosophy they have adopted, and it's certainly not bringing them toward Christ. It's taking them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, we, we need to make sure we are seeking spiritual, godly philosophy. And by the way, the book of Proverbs, guess what that's all about? It's godly philosophy, showing us how to live a life pleasing to God. That's interesting in our text that Dan you just read. It speaks of living in Christ, being rooted and built up in Christ. And the question is, what does it mean to be in Christ? What's well, interesting when Peter writes his letter, he speaks about uh, the same image, but he uses uh, I mean, the same thing, but he uses the image of Noah's ark uh, to describe something almost the same way. Now, first of all, what was it that saved Noah and his family from the flood? The ark. My question is, who designed the ark? God did. Now, hold on here. I didn't think about it until I looked at this illustration this week. Suppose Noah had thought, you know what? God gave me these plans, but I have a better idea. I think if I, instead of doing it this way, do it this way, what do you think might have happened? Huh? Yeah. So, again, the ark was designed to take the brunt of the flood and protect those in it. Would you agree with that? That's what Peter's talking about. In the same way, and by the way, It would have been foolish for Noah to redesign the ark, would it not? It would have been foolish, in fact, detrimental, I think, Dan, to remodel or modify any part of the ark. Just what? Get in. Just get in, right? Well, the same is true with Christ. That's what Paul is trying to uh, get across to the church of Colossae and to us. Because there's a danger. Now, by the way, back in Noah's day, uh, we know he had the ark. If, there, if they were going to be saved <coughs> from the flood, what was the second choice? <laughs> there was no second choice. There's only one. And that was the ark. And it was designed by God. <clears throat> and so, just as in Noah's day, there was no escape except for the ark. Now that Christ has come, 
There is no escape from the judgment of God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. The plan of salvation, that was God's idea. The ark was God's idea. And God says, if you're going to be saved to Noah, you're going to be in the ark. He says to us, if we're going to be saved, we must be in Christ. Now, again, let me remind you, man's philosophy comes up with ideas, how to be saved, how to do this, how to do that. But my question is, who, whose idea was the gospel? It was God's idea. had nothing to do with man designing it or modifying it. They tried to, but it certainly was God's idea. Kind of interesting. It was not man's invention. It was not ours to modify, to make adjustments to. And I don't care how spiritual it may sound, and even the Jews thought, you know, hey, the gospel's okay, but you need to add the rite of circumcision, or you need to add this. Uh, pagans were saying other things. But no matter how spiritual it sounds, the gospel is only good news to those who are in Christ. Thank God for being in Christ. Let's apply it. That's why it's so important that we develop a strong, stable faith by walking in a close, daily relationship with Christ. We've got to have a strong faith. So since God wants us to have it, how do we do that? How do we develop a strong, stable faith? How do we do that? Study his word. Why, Wayne? Amen. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's God's letter to us. An instruction book, if you will. Uh, a love letter to us, showing us how he wants us to live. And, and by the way, uh, we had to study that word, but we also have to put it into practice every day of our life. So how does having a strong, stable faith in Christ, how does that protect us from false teaching? How does that protect us from false teaching? Amen. Isn't that the truth? But if you, Basically, the church, church, it's better word. The church is the dirt. We're the seed. We get dirt. The Bible is the water. That water makes us grow. So many denominations, so many churches talk about the world. The straight thing, this is how the sheep get where they want. Pretty well, yeah. But, but if you know the truth, if you know God's word. Now, I've really never worked at a bank, but I've been told uh, if they are going to put you a, to, to show you uh, how to recognize counterfeit money. Do they show you the counterfeit money? I've heard they show you the real thing. And once you know the real thing and you, you know, you, you're able to identify 
what is the true, the real money, you'll recognize any, any counterfeit. And if we know God's word, we will recognize anything that goes against the word of God. We'll know it when we see it, and it will keep us from drifting away from God. So number one, as believers, we have to keep growing in our faith. We've got to keep trusting in Christ alone, and we have to continually reject false teaching. So my question is, we're talking about growing in faith, trusting in Christ, rejecting false teaching. When do we stop doing any of those things? Not in this life, not ever. It's a continual process. So number two, God is going to give forgiveness and spiritual life, notice this, through faith in Christ alone. Somebody read verses 9 through 15, please. Colossians 2. Amen. Now remember, there was false teaching going on at the church at Colossae. And uh, it was threatening them. And what they were doing, now again, they weren't doing away with all Christian teaching. They were combining teaching about Christ, adding Jewish tradition and rituals to that. Also some pagan things to it. And some spirit, supposed spirit-focused devotion. And they were saying, if you'll do these things, if you'll, if you'll add all these things together, you'll have a better understanding. You will have greater spirituality if you're willing to take the extra step. Okay, you've come to Christ, but now you need to do these as well. What do you think Paul thought about that? He knew better. You think he'd stand for it? No, that's why he writes the letter. Now notice what he says there in verse 9. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now again, Paul knows what he's up against, but he doesn't back down. He says, look, salvation with Christ, you need nothing else. You don't need any of that stuff they're talking about. Now, notice again, Paul says in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's addressing those pagans who said, uh, that God can't be anything 
material. He can't be flesh, but Paul says, yes, he is. He became flesh. For in Christ dwell the fullness of the Godhead, and Paul emphasized bodily. Okay? Again, refuting some of the things that are being taught, not only at Colossae, but also Laodicea and some of the other churches in the area. And, and so Paul says, understand something. Understand something. In Jesus Christ and Him alone, you are able to attain a union between God and humanity because God became flesh, Jesus Christ. You can attain that union through Christ that the world of pagan spirituality says you can't attain. God says you can. And you attain it through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, look, if you have Christ, what else do you need? Nothing else. And, and don't miss that. You are complete in Him. You don't need a more complete experience. You have all you need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, he's the head of everything. All principality, all power, even pagan powers, Christ is the head of them. Now remember, we asked that question earlier, was Jesus 50% man and 50% God? No. He's 100% man, 100% God. (laughs) So, The Bible calls this the incarnation. God became flesh. God became flesh. And if we are going to have a proper understanding of who Christ is, we have to remember He was God, is God, with flesh. He is God incarnate. God in the flesh. And Paul says, now also understand, there were a lot of uh, mostly Gentiles probably in these churches. And, and Paul says, you don't even need to partake in the Jewish rite of circumcision to prove how serious you are about obeying God. And Paul says, look, you need to understand something. Now, by the way, was Paul a Jew? Sure. You think he was circumcised? Sure. He was a Jew. He understood that. But Paul said there's something that you don't realize. And he said, I know how hard they're pushing it. I know what the Jews are trying to tell you about this. But Paul says the Jewish circumcision only deals with the flesh. And you need more than that. You need more than that. And uh, it, it only dealt with the material body. And Paul said that fleshly circumcision did not, nor could it ever, protect us or anyone against sin and death. So he said what you need to realize when you come to Christ, and hear me, he said you receive a circumcision, but not of the flesh, of what? Yeah, the spirit of the heart. You receive a change of heart. 
And Paul says when you come to Christ, it's a better circumcision. It's one that changes your life. It's, a, uh, it's the, uh, the power of God coming in your life. And certainly the resurrection of Christ testifies uh, to this very new spiritual circumcision, the power and how effective it is. Now remember, now you just read that, Paul said we've been made alive, we've been quickened through Jesus Christ. All of us, including the Colossians, we were dead in sin. And we didn't belong to God in any way. There's no identifying on that. But God forgave us our sins. And the great news is he, he makes us alive with a risen Jesus Christ. And understand, had God held court before that time, he would have condemned us. But thank God. Now we, have, we are in union with Christ. It is now different. And because of that, the Bible says, Paul says, that God has canceled, he's erased, the record of our sin debt. Paul says he nailed it to the cross. How many are glad? How many are glad? Do you remember, I know you do, do you remember... When they crucified Christ, what did they put over the, over his cross? Yeah. And what that was, the Romans, a lot of times, would put on that cross the reason for their execution. Because he claimed to be the Son of God, the King of the Jews. Now think about this. Paul said that Jesus Christ took our sin debt and it was nailed to the cross. Think about that. Over the head of Christ, he died for my sins. Every year around Easter time, a lot of times you'll hear different talk shows talk about who crucified Christ? Was it the Jews, the Romans? You know who crucified Christ? I did. And you did. He died for our sins. He died for our sins. The Bible is very clear that both the Jews and the Roman authorities, the mob that day condemned Christ. Pagans spoke of other spirit powers and authorities. And Paul says, look, it doesn't matter. Whatever powers, whatever authorities that exist in the world, whether it's a human authority or spirit, God has displayed his sovereign power over them. Because he was crucified. He did die. He was buried. But was that the end of it? What happened? He rose. He displayed his power over all of them. And Paul says to the Colossians, he says to us, in Jesus Christ, 
We lack absolutely nothing. We have all we need in Christ. And by the way, no matter how long God allows us to live on this earth, whatever we need will come through who? Through Him. Not other people's ideas about faith. Not other people's ideas about spirituality. Not other people's ideas about religion. It will come through Christ alone. Jesus Christ died in our place. He died for our sins. So what about the law? What about the law? You know, Paul's dealing with that. The Jews were trying to bring, uh, the Judaizers were trying to bring it into play uh, in, in with Christianity. Uh, trying to say you had to keep parts of the law in order to be really have all the goods of salvation. So what what about the the part that the law played after Christ? And the question you have to ask yourself: Was the law a good thing or a bad thing? Who said good? Why do you say that, Jordan? Yeah, amen. Who did it come from? It came from God. So God is what? Good. So everything that comes from God has to be good. And the Bible says so. Amen. But hold on here. And, 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 and so it was good. In fact, in Romans uh, 7, Galatians 3, Paul talks about that. But the problem was the law was never designed. To be a tool for salvation. Ever. Jeremy likes to watch a lot of YouTube things, you know. And he likes to watch people who build things. He said one guy he watches, his theory is there's a hammer or a screwdriver in every tool. You know, no matter what you got, you can use for a hammer, you know. And that may be true, but it's not designed for that. It doesn't work well. Well, the law was not designed to be an instrument of salvation. So the law was an instrument of condemnation. In fact, Paul in Romans said, I didn't know it was a sin to lust until he read what? Yeah, thou shalt not lust. It, 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 you know, it, it showed me that I was wrong. It showed us how far off the mark we are. And by the way, sin means missing the mark. And so the law shows us exactly how far off the mark we are. But it didn't have any power to bring us any closer to the mark. So Jesus came, and by his own words, he came to fulfill the law, not do away with it. He fulfilled the law. And he suffered the law's ultimate condemnation. And that is death itself. But Jesus died in our place. And so, as believers, we come from that experience, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We come out of it as triumphant. No wonder Paul said in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved 
us. Because Christ paid that price. How many know if Jesus Christ had not come, and for all those who refuse to accept, accept Him as Savior, how many know that the law is going to condemn them to death? Eternal spiritual death. But here's what's interesting. The law could only bring us to death, but it did not have the power to go beyond death. How far did Jesus go? He went to death, but did he stay there? No, he went beyond death. He paid all the debt that had condemned us. Thank God Jesus paid it all. How am I glad that he did? He went beyond death, something the law could never do. So in way of application, it ought to encourage us, knowing what God has done for us through Christ, to live for God in appreciation of all that. Folks, God has been so good to us. So good to us. So my question is, how should, we, how should you and I respond, or any believer for that matter, to the blessings that God has given us in Christ? How should we respond? By doing what? Serving Him how? Yeah, any way we can, amen? Any way we can. We want to respond by loving Him, obeying Him, serving Him. All these go- And by the way, based on what Christ has done for us, should serving Him be a drudgery? No, it ought to be a joy. He's- Say it again. Amen, the privilege of serving. What a privilege it is. And we ought to do it with joy and a heart full of thanksgiving. So number one, keep growing in your faith. Trust in Christ alone. Reject false teaching. Number two, know that God gives forgiveness and spiritual life only through Jesus Christ. And number three, hold fast and reject, notice this, man-made philosophies and regulations. Somebody volunteer to read verses four. I'm sorry, verses sixteen through twenty-three. Thank you, Jordan. Verse 16, Paul said, Let no man therefore judge you 
in what you eat or you drink or what holy day you celebrate, whether it's the new moon or the Sabbath days. Who would have done that to them? Do what now? Yeah. Now, it's interesting. Uh, that word judge there um, has the idea of an umpire or a referee at a sporting event. Now, think about that. They watch the play, the game, and they determine if you're playing by the rules. <laughs> and, and, and so Paul says there are some in the church who think they're self-appointed referees. They're watching your life, and they're going to they're going to make the call to qualify or disqualify you by whatever rules they come up with. They would say, "Now wait a minute, where was you at on this holy day? I was there. Uh, where are you at at this special festival? Why weren't you there? I was there." You're missing something, in other words. What about the New Moon Festival? But Paul says, forget about that. Those are only shadows of the reality. And Paul said the reality is Christ. And Christ is here. And that, that was the Judaizers. They were looking for the old rituals to bring about fullness with God. Paul said, you don't need that. You're full of Christ. But then there were others in the church. Uh, they would form their judgments as a referee. They would blow their whistle, okay, if you will, on the base of visions and dreams they supposedly had. And they would say, let me tell you what God told me last night. Let me tell you what God revealed to me the other day. And Paul saw right through it. Paul said, that's nonsense. That is nonsense. He said, it's nothing more than pretension. He said, you're proud. You're not humble. You're puffed up with ideas. And what you're saying has absolutely no spiritual substance to it at all. Don't you like the way Paul beat around the bush? <laughs> and he wasn't going to stand for it. He was not going to stand. In fact, Paul says, you know what? You don't even have a, you, you don't have a real connection to Christ. Because Christ is the head. He's the fullness. He's the head of the church. And Paul says, if you have proper connection to the head, you would have proper growth in all parts of the body. And Paul says, that is simply not Then in verses 28 through 23, now can you imagine this? Paul says, listen to me. Don't allow them to put unnecessary burdens upon you. Touch not. Don't handle. Don't taste. Paul said, these are simply principles 
rudiments of this world that fade away. And they are not principles of the Word of God. And by the way, it doesn't matter who gives it. If it's a human commandment, it's always going to fall short. It cannot bring satisfaction. They will fail. They will always fail. And so Paul says, now look, <coughs> they appear to be spiritual. I mean, they appear to add value, but Paul says, no, that's not true. That is not true. They have absolutely no use before God. Now, again, Paul's not talking about proper discipline of the body. Uh, he's not talking about uh, a proper discipline so uh, that we are being mastered by other things that shouldn't master our body. Paul is saying, look, that's not the same as asceticism. You cannot deny yourself enough. And what happens when that to those people, he said they become proud. Look what I've done. But my question, what, what really matters? What I've done and what Christ does? What Jesus Christ does. We're time, Jason. Okay. Now, Paul is not saying there's no, thing, no sin to avoid. There are. But the Bible says don't do it. Don't do it. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to call your pastor about it. Or anybody. If the Bible says don't do it, don't do it. So we avoid those clear do's and don'ts in the Scriptures. But we want to do that. We want to, we want to obey those. But we need to avoid man-made regulations. Now here's the good thing. Balanced Christian living, the gospel of Jesus Christ, does not produce either asceticism or sinful living. We live life according to the Word of God. All those self-made... Man-made rules are no value at all. In fact, you would not believe the people I've talked to through the years who have been heartbroken because the denomination they were part of said you had to reach a certain level and if you don't have this or that, you're not making the grade. And they were convinced they were short of the gospel. Folks, how many of that's a lie of the devil? It's Jesus Christ alone. Faith in Him. Let's stand together. Next week, chapter 3. Father, thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for the clear teaching of the Gospel, Lord, of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us not to modify it, adjust it, or anything else. Just trust You as our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.